0: Thanks so much for listening to The Idea Fountain. I'm Julie Pilot, and we are now three seasons deep on life-changing conversations. And before we launch into the latest episode... Uh, I wanted to mention a lot of people have been talking about the new Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma, featuring Tristan Harris from the Center for Humane Technology. If you found that interesting, you should definitely listen to Season 2, Episode 12 of The Idea Fountain on Screen Time. We had Max Dossel, who's also from the Center for Humane Technology, as my guest, and he gave a ton of invaluable guidance and information in line with social media and the documentary all episodes are available on all podcast sites from apple Podcasts to himalaya spotify and amazon you can also stream all episodes at juliepilot.co and while you're there sign up for the idea fountain newsletter to get updates on tapings and events i appreciate this community so much And I have a feeling today's episode could be especially helpful to so many. Grief and loss have been serious themes of 2020. In this episode, I'm joined by David Kessler, who is the world's foremost expert on grief and loss. And we wanted to focus specifically on the grief and loss the music community has been facing. Just today... The Guardian wrote an article saying an estimated one third of British musicians may quit the industry amid the pandemic. The loss of touring, income, and connection to fans has changed everyone, on top of the loss, the tragic loss of so many lives that have come along with COVID. One of my favorite quotes from David is A broken crayon still colors. It can make something beautiful. And with that, let us hold space for so many who are going through so much in such a complex time. I'm so excited for you to hear this conversation with the amazing David Kessler.
1: I-D-E-A-L-U-N-E-A-I-N
0: This is The Idea
2: Fountain, life-changing conversations.
0: I feel like I'm well-prepared. Normally, for The Idea Fountain, we do a fireside chat. Today, uh, the fireplace is over there. I'm close to my kitchen. I have a nice cup of tea. And first time, I have some tissues ready just in case. Thanks for coming to another episode of the Idea Fountain. I'm Julie Pilot. Every single month, um, I'm happy to fill the room up with people I love, even if it's virtually, um, and have a conversation. Uh, It really makes things special with the group. Full disclosure, if there were a bucket of topics and I drew out grief, loss, death, I may look at it, throw it back in and say, not it. I'm not somebody that really likes to be sad. I don't know if anybody does, but um, I often say, I have a friend, uh, Dr. Deepika Chopra, who says an optimist is somebody that when they hit a wall, they figure out how to go around it. So sometimes when I hit the wall of grief, I think I figure out how to go around it as fast as possible and not just stay there. So this, is, this could be a tough topic for me today, but we are in good hands with uh, a trusted source, one of the most amazing healers and guides, David Kessler. Hey, thank you. There's a, there's a lot of virtual clapping. There's a lot there. of virtual clapping.
2: Thank you so much. And you know, it's interesting you mentioned, grief and death and loss and like, don't forget breakups and divorce and all those other things that none of us want to experience. And yet we do.
0: Yeah, well, I feel like you and I have been walking to Starbucks together every single day done some road trips recently, because I've been listening to your audio book over the last week. And I just finished today. And it's so special. And the reason David and I originally started talking was I'm really excited to say that his latest book, Finding Meaning, is available as, audio, as an audiobook. And this year it's up for consideration for nomination for a Grammy. And so David uh, was really interested in connecting with the music community and having this conversation um, in, in service to music. Is that fair?
2: That's fair. And, and I feel like I've connected with the music industry from behind the scenes for decades, dealing with some of the biggest losses in the music industry with their families. But this is the first time sort of publicly my grief world with finding meaning the sixth stage of grief is intertwined with the music industry through a possible Grammy nomination.
0: I love it. And um, for those who have never uh, met David before, David Kessler is the world's foremost expert on grief and loss. His experience with thousands of people on the edge of life and death have taught him the secrets to living a happy and fulfilled life, even after life's tragedies. He is the author of six books, including the new bestseller book, Finding Meaning, The Sixth Stage of Grief, Grief, He co-authored two books with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, including On Grief and Grieving, updated her five stages of grief. His first book, The Needs of the Dying, received praise from St. Mother Teresa. Um, So once again, welcome, David Kessler. Thank you. And- I want to bring everybody else into the room because as I mentioned, these conversations are so much better with a bunch of people I love. So just for a minute, I'd like everybody to throw their Zoom off of mute. And uh, (laughs) David, will you do the honors? Will you count us to three? And I'd like every single person to shout out their name because we're going to bring you into the room, okay?
2: All right, one. Two, three.
1: Ray, Bellen,
0: Ray. 11. Yay. You know, this is very on brand with music to say like I can't hear you. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's try that one more time. Okay, on a count of three, really. Everybody just yell out their name. One, two, three. Bellen, Bellen, hey. Okay, that was better. I'm not going to do all right now. Let's hear from the right side. Let's see who's louder the left side. We'll just, we'll keep it going. Um, David, if there's one thing that I've always registered um, uh, about a powerful ritual around death and grief, it's something I've learned from the volunteer work that I do in South Central. There are so many kids that lose people unexpectedly, a lot of kids could be teenagers and already have attended 40 funerals. Um, So many people, when death comes up, they don't know what to say, or they'll quickly just say, oh, I'm sorry, and move on. And one of the rituals we have with the kids is if somebody does suffer a loss or loses somebody they love to really honor that person by bringing them into the room and um, telling us about them. And, um, you know, with that, I I wanted to invite you. Could you tell us a little bit about your son, David? Sure.
2: Um, As was mentioned, I have a new book. And I was really privileged to work with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, the woman who did the five stages of grief that we've all heard about, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. And as she and I would always tell you, we worked on them and they are not a map for grief, you don't do them linear, you know, you do grief your way. And then four years ago, my younger son uh, died unexpectedly at 21 years old and it's, it's as brutal as you can imagine, if not more brutal. Um, and I saw myself not only feeling as the dad who had to bury his son, but I also saw myself as the grief expert who was like, yep, you're going through anger. Yep, you're going through denial, all that. And then when I started wrestling with the idea of acceptance, acceptance wasn't enough. I wanted more, I wanted to find meaning. And I think we're a generation that wants more meaning and that became uh, the book, Finding Meaning. And you know, uh, a story to sort of tell you that I think is my meaning around the book is when David was in kindergarten, at the end of kindergarten, they had a graduation and like everyone now in kindergarten, you have a graduation and everyone gets an award. He got the award for most likely to become a helper. And he did not get to become a helper in life. And so I think with this book and this work, he's getting to become that helper in death. He never got a chance to be in life. And I think about, you know, your industry and the music industry, and it's just it's so connected to his life and my life. And that's, that's what I think is magical about your work is, where does life and love and music and, I mean, they all intersect together in so many ways. You know, there's a million songs I think of that are um, his. And so it's interesting to sort of think about our intersections. So thank you for asking about him.
0: Yeah, music and grief. There are two things I think of. One, um, when I was volunteering in South Central, once uh, one of my mentees faced a tragedy and her sister was involved in a drive-by shooting and her boyfriend got shot and killed. And um, I went to visit my mentee and keep her some company. And when I got there, I went, uh, we didn't go in the house. We sat on the porch. And the air was really, really, really thick. And I remember sitting on this porch and things being so still that I could notice like every inch of cracked paint. And my mentee looked at me and she was an amazing musician. And she said, as I was holding space, she said, Julie, you know, I'm going to keep doing this music thing no matter what and and I just kind of listened and she said, I know I'm good, otherwise they wouldn't ask me to sing at every single funeral. And that was such wow. an intense moment for me. And then this morning um, I was thinking about also when we attended a funeral um, of one of our friend's mothers, how like unforgettable and beautiful it was when they brought out the casket and uh, were taking her her mother away, a mariachi band played out the procession, right? So music and grief really, really seem like they've been intertwined for forever.
2: And what was so touching to me, the other piece about that is, I don't know if you noticed this piece, I'm sure you did, whenever her mother's casket was moved at all, the music started. Mm -hmm. So the music, the movement, it, it was really touching and, you know, sad all at the same time, but it was really powerful. The other thing I think is we're in this pandemic and that funeral you and I went to, of our friend Liz's and her mother isn't happening. You can't have that funeral right now. And how tragic that is. And I always like to just sort of help people understand in a time like this, there's what I call macro griefs and micro griefs. In other words, big and little grief. A loved one dying is a huge grief. And yet, the canceling of a wedding, the inability to have a graduation, tours canceled, a million sessions, recordings stopped, all of those are losses too. And it's really important in grief not to ever compare our losses. You know, if if someone says to me, their tour got canceled I don't go, you know, my son died. They both get to exist in the world together. One loss doesn't take away from another. So I think it's important that we sort of begin to realize all these griefs that we're living with these days and all the losses. I just went down a couple of blocks to where I live. And it's like, oh, another restaurant I loved closed. Where, where? so saturated with grief. Our challenge is not to become numb. Right.
0: I want to talk about a few different things today. And again, uh, this talk is hyper-focused on being in service to music and the community, and um, and uh, that demographic, but also I want to hold space for people that have gone through things um, like you were talking about. I know there's people on this call that have lost parents to COVID and um, not been able to grieve. And so it, it all matters and it's so important. And I want to talk about not only people in the community that we've lost, but that loss of income, the loss of connection to fans, the loss of touring, and even the loss of hope. But you know, let's start with addressing some of the loss in our community. It's been a really, it's a really been a tough few years, and. Um, It's hard. And I want to say if I call out anybody's name, it's it's somebody that uh, has really I've been feeling the loss from and I know that there's been, you know, a lot more and I would welcome other people to, you know, honor people they care about when they come up but I mean, taking a look at the different things from the the people that we've lost to overdoses, like Mac Miller. I mean, I think I miss him every single day. And Juice World, or the suicides. I mean, there's been murders, Nipsey Hussle, and then even um, you know, it's so tragic losing people to cancer. And and I'm curious, you said um you know it's really important not to compare grief but what advice do you have for people as these different tragedies come up
2: well a few things certainly you know my son you you read the book he had some mental challenges he had addiction i think as a society we're just beginning to realize and medical science is teaching us that addiction being mentally compromised mental illnesses all those old way of thinking that those are choices is just not true no one has a choice oh should i have a really wonderful healthy life or should i be mentally ill oh should i be bipolar or should i just be really fine should i you know, become an addict or have a health, those aren't choices. Those are serious illnesses that get progressively worse and with treatment, sometimes still can't even be cured. And we, this is new for us. Many of us grew up with the, oh, you can just say no. No, it's not that easy. You can't. So these are tragedies and they have to be treated that way. And I think that's a new paradigm for people to look at addiction and to look at being mentally compromised. Um, And the other thing is some of the most creative people in the world are mentally compromised. In fact, I mean, one of the things I always tell people is I think of the wall to my right as completely mentally healthy and the wall to my left is completely mentally ill. I've never met anyone on either wall. All of us are in between somewhere. And sometimes the most creative people all day. who are gifted, some of the most created gifted people are also challenged by some of those illnesses.
0: You had a quote in your book that I loved, and I think the quote was um, in relation to people who feel like they're broken after a death, but I mean, I think it relates to like pe- to people going through challenges, and your quote was, broken crayons can still color.
2: Absolutely. Broken crayons can still color.
0: Yeah. While, while our lives may feel broken, we can still create something beautiful.
2: And boy, especially in the music, I mean, think of just, my goodness, Eric Clapton, Tears and Hell. I mean, my gosh, some of the most beautiful songs come out of deep tragedy. Uh, I, I'm just inspired by, you know, talk about meaning that you can take some of the worst moments of your life and My goodness, who, which of us haven't needed a good breakup song during our life? You know, we needed uh, to sort of have our grief witnessed by hearing music and going, wow, someone else feels what I'm feeling. And I hear it in their music, in their song, in their words.
0: What can you tell people who have suffered a loss that may be a public facing tragedy? right? There's lots of people that work in music that are in bands with people that have passed away or music managers that have lost clients. Um, How can they find comfort when it's so consistently in the news or you're witnessing fans grieving that person too? It feels like that can be tougher than ever.
2: I try to do two things with them because I've worked with a lot of, um, uh, celebrities, well-known folks in the music industry. I mean some of the biggest deaths you could imagine. Uh, I've worked with some of their loved ones and sometimes what's interesting that I find is they treat the public like a family member. Let's make sure we talk to this family member. Let's make sure we connect with them. It's interesting to see how you know, when you're well known and have fans and the public who connects with your work, how you get to decide what your relationship is like with that entity. And I, I find that the people who get that and respect that, we kind of feel that. So, yes. it's an, you know, it's an interesting thing to think about that. And at the end of the day, no matter who you are, the most famous person, a billionaire. We all do this the same. We all do this the same.
0: And if people go through a loss and their mantra is stay strong or I have to be resilient, what do you say to them? I mean, it, it's not easy to necessarily say, well, you don't have to be strong,
2: right? But well, the danger is stay strong sometimes sounds like don't have feelings. Mm-hmm. And us men get that more.
0: Right.
2: You know, and we do have feelings. And so I think it's important to just sort of know our work is to witness grief, to when someone has grief. They've had a loss to know we can't fix it. We can't change it. We can't undo it. We can only witness it. I don't have the right words to help you with what you're going through, but I can sit here and be with you. That's what makes the difference. It's our presence. It's not about doing, it's about being.
0: Yeah, another thing that I really loved in your book when you're talking about being, was when you were talking about how uh, everything you do has an opportunity for meaning, right? Um, That talking to the clerk at the checkout counter at the grocery store, that can have meaning. And a lot of times when you're going through the sadness and not sure how things will ever get better, you talk about do something nice, pay it forward, instantly your life will have meaning.
2: And helping is healing. You know, helping is healing. And we don't recognize it. I I tell the story. My son um, was needing to get insurance, health insurance. And there was a lot of issues around that. And it was a place where we could have a lot of turmoil. And so he needed to get an insurance plan. I looked on the internet. I found an insurance agent close to us. I just know this is gonna be a hideous get together. And I go there with my son, who's completely unhappy about it, and in walks this completely fun insurance agent with big streak of pink hair, who like amazingly connected with my son and turned an insurance meeting into a great time. Now, you may go, All right, what's so important about that? Good, all right, you had a good insurance meeting. Little did I know that meeting was the last time I would see my son alive. Hmm. So there's moments like that you don't realize your show, your concert, your music, your talent can be the backdrop of someone's life and can make such a huge difference. We're making meaning even when we don't know it. You know, this is a meaningful moment right now, right here for me.
0: Us too. Thank you so much. So, there are people that during COVID, especially when it comes to their career in music, have been completely, you know, knocked down, right? Unexpectedly, overnight. I uh, had the privilege uh, recently, there's a new app, it's called Clubhouse, and it's like live audio podcasting. And uh, it was really interesting. I was listening to a conversation about virtual DJing in 2020, and Diplo and Dylan Francis and A-Track were on there. And you know, you think about three of the biggest DJs in the world, and it's easy to say like, oh, they're fine you know, they can take a little break. But these people have been traveling all over the globe, interacting with 20,000 fans a night, throwing these incredible parties, and then to go to being essentially alone in your house, right? Like, that's a pretty traumatic loss.
2: Absolutely. And I, you know, I experienced that on a smaller level, I was on a 30 city 3 continent book tour when this happened and just like you said I was on city 21 one day and then 3 days later I'm home going what what just happened and am I here for a week and we get back to it so it's been like a roller coaster and that's a loss you know for those people for all of us you have the loss of the income You have the loss of the connection. You have the loss of the purpose. You have the loss of your music. I mean, there are so many losses we're dealing with. And I also just want to connect us to the world outside. I talk about grief must be witnessed. When we look at the COVID deaths that are about to hit 200,000, there's no visuals. There's no visuals for that. You can't witness that grief, because we don't see it. But it's the equivalent of like 1,500 planes crashing since March. Could you imagine if 1,500 planes crashed since March? Look at the racial injustices. With George Floyd, there was finally a visual that we could all see. It's not news to the Black community. But for everyone else, it was like, Oh, that, that's how that looks? That's how that happened? And you realize we've not been witnessing that grief. So it's interesting to think about the grief in the world, big and small. And it's getting unwitnessed in COVID. It's been unwitnessed in the Black community, in the Latino community. So it is time we open our mind and see in our eyes and see all of this grief that's around us. And find meaning and show up and do something.
0: You also um, talked about how challenging the loss of hope can be. Um, You had a story about Holocaust survivors saying that when, will, will you remind me about like one of the toughest things was like not knowing what the future was gonna hold?
2: Right, that sometimes, you know, the idea of having hope really gets us through things. And when we leave, lose that hope, it's so important that we hold it for one another. So when someone dies and someone tells me they're hopeless, I will say to them, unfortunately and tragically, the death of your loved one is permanent, but the loss of your hope is temporary. And even though you can't see your hope, I will hold your hope until you can find it again. I have hope for you. And it is so true in this pandemic that there is no storm that did not pass. There is no night that did not give way to a day. We have to remind one another that this will pass. Not soon enough. But it will pass at some point. And we will have a world after this. And we got to figure out, what do we want that world to look like? Because it's going to be changed forever. So we need
0: to create that new world. Um, so I'm a bit of an activator. And I love a to-do list. If, if people are struggling, especially musicians at this time, not knowing if they should release their music or not knowing when they may be able to tour and have a sense of normalcy. And, you know, maybe they have hope, but as far as getting through some of those stages of grief, the anger, the depression, um, do you have any recommendations of what somebody can do or am I trying to force it?
2: I think hope is important. I think making meaning is important. You know, when we talk about meaning, I talk about meaning, we always think about meaning as maybe the charity someone starts or the foundation, but meaning is found in moments. So, you know, on my block here, we've never met each other. Literally, I sort of knew the neighbor on my left and my neighbor on my right. Because of COVID and the pandemic, we're all on a text chain all of a sudden you know i found out i got grammy winners right here on my street and i didn't even know it so to think about what can you spot that's meaningful in this pandemic we're now you know when it was terrible in march we're like going to the grocery store does the elderly man at the end of the block need anything how can we connect and spot those moments that we hold hope for one another how can we collaborate how can we talk about, there's very few times in our life, first of all, let me just say this. The meaning is not ever in the tragedy itself. There's no meaning in a murder. There's no meaning in someone overdosing. Meaning is what we do after. So the question is, what, how often in our life do we ever get stopped to sort of reboot? For most of us, the answer is never. So you're rebooting. What do you want this new world to look like? What would you like to change about it? If you've been touring, gosh, if you can just start from scratch, what would that look like? What wasn't working? There's meaningful things you can come up with. This can be a powerful time of creativity. It does not take away the tragedy but the creativity and the tragedy can live together.
0: I think that's important. Uh, we were talking about the musicians in grief, and you mentioned um, briefly the murder of George Floyd and social justice. Um, I think it is really important to note that you know the murder of George Floyd was an event, you know, similar to you know how losing someone you love is an event, but the social injustice is something people are gonna have to live with for a long time as we're all sorting out. Um, And that particular event was being repeated and
2: repeated and repeated and unseen. And a lot of the white community would go, yeah, yeah, we heard it, it's an isolated incident. And now we get to see just how hideous that is. And we're realizing, yeah, not as isolated incident. And I do agree that, you know, I don't think it's every police officer. And I think most police are good. But I think it's more than one bad apple. And I think racism is alive in the police force. And it's alive in everything else, too. So it's really a wake up call that we really have to open our eyes to some of these things to make change.
0: I had a real privilege to um, listening to one of my coworkers have a conversation about race. And one of the things that they brought up was how much anxiety they had and fear, right? Because, you know, when you see somebody get shot jogging through the neighborhood, it's like, okay, I can't be running outside. And then you see somebody using a, bill at the grocery store. And it's like, oh, how do I know I don't have a counterfeit $20 bill? And then with the murder of Breonna Taylor, she was at our house and he was saying, now I don't feel safe at my house. Um, If someone has witnessed a tragedy, I know it's unbelievable. You've been a huge supporter to a lot of people who have um, witnessed or been survived survivors of plane crashes. Um, What do you have to say about the fear and the anxiety that comes from the loss?
2: Sure. You know, part of what I work with people to help them realize is um, all grief does not have trauma, but all trauma has grief. And we also have to separate that the traumatic moment has ended, but maybe the trauma and the grief has not. So we have to know, you know, Breonna Taylor was killed. By the way, wouldn't happen in my neighborhood. No one's waking me up in bed with a cert. it's not happening in my neighborhood, probably not happening in most of our neighborhoods, but there's a lot of neighborhoods it does happen in. And, you know, to think about how can we help that trauma that just exists. I, I have a lot of friends with kids and we're all talking about issues with our teenagers. And then literally we turn to you know our black friends and we go, oh, please tell me you don't have to have the talk. And they're like, oh yeah, we have the talk. You know, the talk is you got to make sure if you have a black child in this country they know how to like, you know, be completely different than any of us if they get pulled over. And it's just, you know, I don't fear, and I had a child die, but I didn't fear my child being killed every day the way so
0: many the people in our world have to. Yeah, it's, it's definitely uh, intense. How can we be better friends? If um, a friend has gone through a loss or even facing the heaviness of everything that's happening in the world right now, um, what are your recommendations for the best way to show up for people? Well, our inclination is to cheer them up and to fix them. I may be guilty of that.
2: Oh, I am too. Believe me, we all do it. We, our job is uh, to witness them and be with them. So for instance, what that looks like is you don't try to point out the silver linings. At least your mom isn't suffering. At least they died quick. At least they don't have an addiction anymore. Any sentence that begins with a least, you should not say to someone in grief. And it should just be, I don't know what the words are. I'm I'm just so sorry you're having to go through this. It's heartbreaking. And I just want you to know you've got someone by your side as you go through this that's what we need to hear whether it's a breakup a divorce a canceled wedding a death don't you just want to know your friends are by your side and they're going to be there with you in the good and the bad times
0: yes i um i've seen a couple people i wish i could hand a tissue through the zoom too, uh, and be there for them. Um, But we're doing the best we can uh, in a virtual world. And thank you again, David, for being here today. Um, I'm going to open it up to the group in just a second for questions, because I know there's a lot of people that have followed your work for a long time. So if um, anybody has a question, go ahead and throw your name into the chat, or let me know you have a question, and I'll be calling on people in just a second. Another thing that I was wondering about, though, uh, in finding meaning, you talk a lot about one of my favorite things in the world, uh, some synchronicities and serendipities, right? It's almost like messages from the other sides or like a little note from the universe that I'm listening. Um, could you give an example? And these key? showing up again and again and again in the stories of the people you've worked with and things that you've experienced. What's your take on what they mean? I think it's for all of us
2: to decide what they mean. I often talk about, I'm a bit of an open skeptic, but things happen and you know, we're not talking about, we're not talking about a, you know, oh, there's a leaf, that's a sign. I mean, there's leaves everywhere. I'm talking about you know other signs that we get bigger signs, and it's interesting that they they show up in different ways. Um, you know, thinking about music, there's a song uh, by the Eurythmics, "Sweet Dreams" that I loved, and then my son David, who died, literally had a version, a cover version of it. That I was like, David, they ruined a good song with that cover version. And he's like, no, it's great. And out of the blue, once in a while, that song is playing. And I'm like, I have not heard that. And it just comes out of the blue stuff like that. And, you know, it's not like I'm hearing uh, the Eurythmics or Sweet Dreams, I'm hearing that version that we used to fight over. And I'm like, he's going, hey, that's the song, dad,
0: still here. That's so, that's so incredible. I had, I had a funny situation happen this summer where there was something that I was counting on and I had a disappointment. And there were all these signs leading up to it, right? With all these serendipities, my intuition told me that it was gonna happen. You know, um, I had done all of the work, all of the research. I mean, astrology was telling me I was on point and then nothing. And I was so angry and I was so mad. And one of my really good friends, the first thing they said to me was, well, you're not God. <laughs> and it, it, was, it was good. I thought I actually needed to hear that. And then uh, the next thing they said was, um, you know, maybe all of those serendipities don't necessarily mean it's going to happen. But maybe it's more a sign that somebody is listening.
2: I love that. I love that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I thought that was really sweet. Um, And, you know, in many ways, I mean, I've had
2: five books. And this book comes out, and so much has gone viral. The idea of a possible Grammy nomination, there's a part of me that goes, well, that may be my son. That could be my son, because it hasn't happened with any other book. So you never know.
0: You never know. Um, OK, we're going to open it up um, to the chat. Again, if you have a question, go ahead and throw your name into the chat, and then I'll call in you in just a second. But I know Corey has a question. Corey, checking in. From Minneapolis.
1: Hello. Uh, I was just wondering, hi, David, uh, what your right. thoughts on our after death and what your
2: thoughts uh, about afterlife, if any? Sure. No, I have, I am a big believer in the afterlife. I actually wrote a book called Visions, Trips and Crowded Rooms about who and what you see before you die, about research into things that I believe make it almost a certainty that there is an afterlife. I certainly, and that's apart from whatever religion you may believe in, or spirituality. But, you know, Corey, I always ask a question back. People always go, is there life after death for our loved ones? Yes, I believe that. My question back is, is there life after death for us? Do we get to live after our loved ones die? Because I see so many people who become paralyzed after their loved one dies. And I try to help them find their life again. And by the way, you know, I have a free Facebook group and a lot of different things to help people because this is something we all deal with in life. And it's truly, truly one of the most challenging things in the world.
0: And Rose, I
2: believe you have a question. Thank you, Corey. Hi, Rose.
3: Hi. I happen to be one of those people you mentioned who uh, had to attend a funeral of my dad, actually, um, over FaceTime. Of course, my brother's trying to call me. Sorry. Um, And, you know, that was like really uncharted territories. He passed away. Sorry passed away in April, we couldn't do anything about it. He literally was in a vault for two months. And, um, you know, my mom had a surgery during COVID and my business imploded. I happen to be in brand experience and we can't gather, um, for the most part, uh, you know, I appreciate what you said about how everybody processes it differently. I'm a person that plows through things and keeps going and going and going someday I'll implode, I suppose, but like How do you respond to people when they expect you to be a certain way, as you were talking about? You know, people expect me to like be a bundle of tears or be a mess, not leave my house. That wasn't a choice at one point, but um, it just feels like a lot of pressure, especially on um, business women who always have to kind of put it together to feel like you have to explain why you're not reacting in the air quote traditional way.
2: This is going to be challenging but there it is. What you think of my grief is none of your business, none of my business. What someone else thinks about my grief is just none of my business. You know, let me give you an example of that. You're in branding. We you know, when I was on tour, we sent out brochures and advertisements Emails came in from people that I ended up mistakenly seeing that said, he's smiling in a picture. First of all, it's grief. He shouldn't be smiling. And I thought, well, wait a minute. Do you really want your grief specialist to look like they're terribly depressed? And, you know, they would go, and I happen to know about his son dying. He should not be smiling. And I had to think to myself, That's their opinion. That's the noise. My grief is between me and me. And whether I smile or not after my son dies is really between me and my son. And I know my son, David, he would never want to take my smile away. So it's okay that I smile, even if people think you're in grief, you shouldn't. Is that helpful,
1: Rose?
0: That was great. Thank you very
1: much.
2: You're welcome.
0: Um, And Susan, I think you have a question.
1: Hi. Hi, David. Susan here. And and this is Lily, my daughter. Hi, Hi. Lily. Talk soon. (laughs) Our friend, friend Olivia. Hi, Olivia. Uh, I want to thank you so much for being here and and the uh, incredible, helpful reminder how nonlinear grief is.
2: Absolutely.
1: And Rose, want to acknowledge Rose your your recent loss and and what you. By the way,
2: Rose, could you tell me your dad's name real quick?
3: Sure, it's Munir.
2: Great, thank you. I don't like to talk about people as a loss; they're they're a person. So thank you for sharing that, and thank you for bringing that up, Susan.
1: Yeah. Um, I was curious the, of the serendipity that brought you and Elizabeth together. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross? Correct.
2: So Elizabeth was, you know, the woman who had written, you know, Death and Dying in those classic books and helped start hospice in this country. And uh, she was going to be the main speaker at a international grief conference in um Egypt that I was going to. And I was like wallpaper. And she was the keynote. And that's when she had her stroke. And uh, like probably six months later, um, I was with the organizer and the promoter of the tour. um, And she said, you know, I got to figure out whether I can reach out to Elizabeth. I don't know how to talk to people who have had a loss or a stroke, could you just see how she's doing? Here's her son's number and I called her son and her son said, she's doing better, here's Elizabeth's number, call her. And I call up Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and she was lovely and she asked about Egypt. And then at the end of the conversation I said, well, I hope someday somehow we'll get to meet even though we didn't get to meet on this trip. And you know, I did it in my sort of cosmic, maybe the stars will align. And Elizabeth said, how about Tuesday? <laughs> and I went, Tuesday works. And so that began our friendship. And little did I know it would lead to a 10-year relationship and uh,
1: two books. Beautiful. Thank you. Sure. I wanted to also touch on the, uh, the different, I know you talked about it today, but the different, the different ways that meaning can, can show up with uh within grief and you you touched on the the vast creativity that we've seen during covid Uh, one of my favorites was in the probably the second month when somebody did a a brief film to the kinks song lola called corona lola which encapsulated everything all of us were going through and and that most of us were thinking anyway and um what other kinds of, of meaning in, in the categories of meaning? I think of creativity as, as one.
2: Well, I'll tell you something I use, and you wouldn't expect it, but anyone who's like been with me any amount of time. I use humor. I mean, I, 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 you know, I know tragedy, but I also think there's a really funny side of life, too, that just cracks me up. And sometimes it occurs in the craziest moments. Um, I also think that there's so many ways meaning appears. Meaning is, as I said, you know, obviously the the charities and things people do and the meaningful moments, but it's also, it can be maybe you, you're changed by the person that you knew. I mean, I would imagine Rose is forever changed by her dad. You know, I would say when someone dies, um, whether it's Rose, who's had a husband die, I'm sorry, a a father die, or Susan, I believe you've had a a loved one die. Um, You know, we always talk about a part of me died with them. But I always want to know what part of them lives on in you. Because that's part of your meaning, is to nurture the part of them that's living on in you. And that can be a collective thing. I mean, what part of, you know, Prince lives on in all of us? What part of George Floyd lives on in all of us? What part of Elvis Presley lives on, you know, Michael Jack. I mean, there's a million people that there's something about them that can live on in us and can be our meaning.
1: I like that. That's beautiful. Really powerful. Thank you, David. That's great.
0: I had a a funny experience when David and I first started talking about doing uh, this interview because I do consider myself really lucky. I haven't lost a lot of people that were really close to me. Um, I cast a wide net, so um, I have experienced loss, but um, I hadn't experienced a loss so close to me that I had gotten to the point that I'd studied David's work. And I I said to him, Um, Every single month on the Idea Fountain, I interview somebody that's changed my life. And, um, you know, our relationship is a little bit new, but I'm really excited to have this conversation in service to the music community and, um, you know, uh, see how we can help people together. And so it was funny because I was like, I'm fine. I don't need this for me. And then the next morning I put on the audio book and, of course, within 10 minutes, I'm like drowning in a lake of tears and sobbing because there are so many of us that just plow through things. And uh, selfishly, I have one more question for you. Um, David, you mentioned in your book that you adopted two boys. Right, Richard and David. Richard and David. By the way,
2: today is Richard's birthday. Just throwing that uh, out there.
0: Happy birthday, Richard. Mm -hmm. Um, You mentioned uh, that they both came from drug-addicted mothers, and uh, I am in the process of entering into a new phase of my life where we have been approved for adoption. And um, I'll tell you, I'm really excited and happy to adopt from the city and, you know, work with the community, and I don't have any fear around that, but... The one thing that makes me a little bit nervous is the addiction. What should I know?
2: Well, the tough thing for me is when I learned that David was born drug exposed, I felt like, oh, that's, you know, I thought love can cure all. And I thought, I don't know that I can fix that. And, you know, I only had to look at him to know I didn't care. I wanted You know, those were my sons. And um, uh, it's hard, but I'll tell you, when I think about my son dying at 21 years old, there's only one worse tragedy than him dying that I can think of, is me not getting to know him this lifetime. So, you know, for me, love and grief are always a package deal. The other thing I would say to you about adoption is people would say to me, aren't you afraid you might adopt some kids that have in their DNA cancer or mental illness or suicide or addiction? And I'd go, well, I have those in my DNA. So I mean, what does it matter? It's going to come up. I mean, who doesn't have cancer in their DNA? I mean, these are things we all struggle with. And I can tell you, I have multitudes of friends and multitudes of people I counsel that have kids who are their own biological kids and still have addiction. I mean, they're sort of, you know, we can't try to maneuver our way around or decrease our odds of something bad happening in life. The only thing we have control over is to get none of us know how long we're here for. And the only thing that's real is love and connection and to connect and love while we're here. And the rest will take care of itself.
0: That's beautiful. Thank you. And uh, I'm really thankful that uh, you sharing another story about David will help me sleep a little bit better at night. That was awesome.
2: You're welcome.
0: Uh, I'm really excited for everybody to um, check out David Kessler's latest book, Finding Meaning. Um, And uh, if you are a part of the music business, keep it in mind for best spoken word uh, of the year.
2: And they can go to grief.com and click on it on the four year consideration. And they can hear some clips about it if they just want to, Sample it to see if it's something that uh, they can get behind and I hope they can.
0: That's so fantastic. I know it's really going to help a lot of people. How else can people find you and is there anything else you'd like people to know?
2: Well, I'm on Facebook and Instagram and all those. You can find me under I am David Kessler. So Facebook.com I am David Kessler and Instagram face, you know, I am David Kessler, Twitter, same thing. Um, The other thing is grief.com, you can find my work. There's a lot of free resources there. I have a free Facebook group for anyone dealing with a death. And, um, you know, there's lots of resources and relationships. I think sometimes we don't realize how challenging they can be. And to get support when you've had a loss in a relationship, that finding meaning is just as true in that. And to, uh, you know, not take our bricks from our last relationship to our next relationship. Build a new house. Build a new relationship.
0: Amen. Well, um, I really appreciate you, David. This was beautiful. This was really healing today and such a special conversation. And I love, I don't know if it's Murphy's Law or just like a rule of thumb that if you're prepared, it's not going to happen, right? Like if you get earthquake insurance, there's no earthquake insurance. And today for the first time ever, I had my tissues ready to go and we made it. <laughs> Again, I saw a few other people on the screen and some um, videos go off that I wish I could have handed a tissue to, but uh, we made it. And um I'm really, really thankful that you spent the time with us and connected with the music community and that we now have you for a resource.
2: Oh, thank you. And I so appreciate all the music community has done. It's the background of my life. Sometimes it's the forefront and surrounds me when I'm in dance, so I appreciate it. Thank you all for everything you do.
0: All right, fantastic. All right. I will invite anybody if they wanna come off mute and say thank you or clap uh, without being on mute, go ahead. But I appreciate everybody for coming. Thank you. Thank you.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, thank everyone. You. Thank you, David.
0: Thank you. Thank
1: Bye-bye. you, David. Thank you, Julie. Thank you, Julie. Thank you, Julie.
0: Thank you, Julie.
1: Thank you. Heart um, is better now.
0: When did you say your heart is better?
2: The heart is better now.
1: Yeah. Thank you, David.
2: Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Take care. Well,
0: we'll release this uh, next week, and I'll send it around. And uh, I appreciate everybody help helping to spread the word. Let's get um, David a Grammy. Ooh,
2: thank you. I'll, I'll be happy with a nomination. We always say that, but I really will. But thank you all so much for your support and love. Thank you. All right. Thank thanks. you. Have a good
0: night. Bye-bye. Bye. I really hope you got as much out of that episode as I did. Thanks again for listening to another episode of The Idea Fountain. I would love if you stayed in touch. On Instagram, you can find us at The Idea Fountain. Every month between episodes, I've also been hosting chats on IG Live. For example, last month, after we discussed the importance of neighborhoods during COVID and how much things have changed on the podcast, we did two IG Lives. Um, One featuring one of my neighbor's. Kat Cannon, who is a former geoscientist. She did a really important chat on earthquake preparedness. And then also, uh, Nomi did an episode on foraging fruit in the streets of L.A. She is an artist, leader, and a grower and walked us through what you can and cannot do while picking fruit. And she also played her new single, Pass Me the Knife. It was fantastic, and all episodes are up now on IGTV. Uh, I really appreciate you checking out the Idea Fountain. Thanks for leaving reviews on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for being a part of the community. Thanks so much for sharing the Idea Fountain with friends. I am here for anything you need.